such a treat to be with you again. Um, we came up from Rochester, New York on Friday, and by the grace of God, there was no traffic. It was awesome. <laughs> Made it over the Tappan Zee. I still don't call it Mario Cuomo Bridge, but came over the Tappan Zee. It was totally wide open, and over the Throg's Neck, it was totally wide open, and here we be. And Alan beat me again in golf, which is normal. <laughs> I think he's got like a 35 match win streak going, so with a broken finger, no less. So I thought this was my year, but no. <laughs> but anyways, uh, my daughter Julianne is with us. Uh, stand up, Julianne. Wave to her. And Jeannie, my <laughs> lovely wife of 44 years, this August 16th, she's with us too. So it's a treat to be here. So Lord Jesus, we just ask that you would speak to us today. And by your Holy Spirit, give us understanding and, and wisdom and revelation uh, we know that your spirit comforts us, <clears throat> it's our helper, but you also lead us into all truth, and we, we pray that would be the case today, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Hallelujah. So, um, <clears throat> if you see on the screen there, <clears throat> I think, oh, here it is, is this good water? I just drank a little bit. <laughs> Did you spit in it? <laughs> Are you sure? Thank you. <clears throat> but I really feel, uh, how many of you are under 30? How many? There's some that are under 30. Good. I really believe God has a word for you today. That's a very important word, uh, what we're going to be sharing today. Um, because um, the scriptures that the Lord put on my heart, you know, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not unto your own understanding, and all your ways acknowledge him. That's like a life verse that you can... You can build your life upon, shun evil, and, and give yourself to holiness and righteousness. It's something that's so important, and it's not an ethereal thing. It's a very practical choice that we make. And it's not so much the big choices that we make that impact our life. It's the little choices that our life's destiny is built upon. So you young people, the little choices that you make in school, the little choices that you make in your training, how you respond to your elders and your parents, how you respond to God's word, those little choices that you make are something that your life is built upon so that when, and because there will be big choices that come in your life, there will be crisis that you will face when you reach those places, those little choices that you have made will make it much easier to see your way through difficult times, foggy times. Have you ever been on Long Island Sound or in the Sound when it's foggy? And you can't really see your way, but uh, you know the pathway to go in. It's the same way when we are walking with Jesus. The little choices that we make will help us in the big choices. And if we have made mistakes in the past, the great thing is the Holy Spirit is always there to re define our way and show us the way to go. Anyway, that's a rabbit trail, but it kind of fits in. So our ministry now is Quest for Life. This is our ministry, and that's one of my favorite pictures, the guys with the rescue boat. And uh, I got these pictures and this understanding when we were at the, Jer not the Jersey Shore, the Delaware Shore with Jeannie's folks, and there's this life-saving station, and it's a museum, and they show you all about these guys who were volunteers who patrolled the shoreline, probably on Fire Island and all the way down the eastern seaboard, and they would have these stations, and they would walk along, and they would have this key, and they would plug into this timer to show that they made their loop, 
But if they saw a ship in distress, it was their duty to go out and save lives that they could. Their motto, and it became the motto of the U.S. Coast Guard, is we have to go out, we don't have to come back. We have to go out, we don't have to come back. That's a great motto for Christians, don't you think? you got to go out. you got to go to the Dominican and face the lice and all those other things she was talking about. I looked at Alan and I said, who would want to go to that? You know? But you got to go out because that's what we've been called to do, go. And our ministry, Quest for Life, we find ourselves in a pro-life ministry for the last 20-something years. And uh, we're basically working not by ourselves but with four other groups of people from various denominations. And uh, the ministries that we work with is Life, uh, Love, no, Rock, Love Will End Abortion, Am I Not a Child, uh, the Frederick Douglass Foundation, and a group called 40 Days for Life. And it's from various denominations, Catholic, Evangelicals, Baptists, uh, Pentecostals, um, social justice people. But what I look at it as, this is our motto, we're building a lighthouse of faith and love in dangerous places. Places that are given over to darkness, heartache, uh, bondage. And our goal is to love God first, be filled with his love, and then they take that love to people that are hurting. Of course, the babies, because we're in a pro-life ministry, we want to see them save the moms, the dads, the clinic workers, the abortionists. We've been praying for a couple that run an abortion clinic. They've run an abortion clinic for over 20 or 30 years, uh, Morris and Rebecca Wortman. And I just believe he could be a Saul that turns into a Paul. He could be a Bernard Nathanson who becomes a champion for life because he knows his parents lived through the Holocaust. Isn't that amazing? Uh, and he knows it's a human life that he's taken. And I'm just believing that God is able to change. If he can change a Saul to a Paul, if he could get us and dig us out of the pit that we fell into and where we were, he can transform anybody. There is nothing impossible for God. There is no one beyond his reach. No one beyond his reach. So here we are in New York State with our governor, Andrew Cuomo, our mayor, de Blasio, our Senator Gillibrand, and New York State has become a mecca of abortion rights. And we know, and I taught about this downstairs in the Sunday school class, regarding the new abortion expansion bill and how it was celebrated in our legislature chambers, how they, they championed and cheered the idea that you can take a life of an unborn child up until the ninth month without penalty in New York State. You don't have to be a doctor to perform abortion anymore in New York State. Uh, a baby that survives an abortion, you do not have to provide services and help for that child any longer in New York State. And there are a number of other states that have jumped on the bandwagon. Virginia, Governor Nathan, I believe, is, it, it was very uh, uh, coldly and calculatingly, kind of clinically, explaining what would happen if a baby survived an abortion and how... They could literally just let the baby die. There would be no problem because it would be the mother's choice. So these things are happening in our nation. We have a mayor that wants to provide free abortions for everybody in, in New York City. And we have a, a state senator 
who says it's very unchristian to oppose abortion because the essence of our faith is free choice. That's what Christianity is all about, free choice. But actually, that's the lie because that's what the devil told, uh, told Eve. You can become as God, meaning you can determine what's good and what's evil. You can do it apart from any kind of objective standard of truth and righteousness that God will lay down because you could be a God unto yourself. And that's something, you young people, you're getting exposed to that all the time. Maybe not in such a blatant way like I just said it, but woven through all your social studies classes and all your health classes is that idea that it's all about me and what I want. So we're going to be looking at this because we have gone through the looking glass like Alice in Wonderland and up is down and right is wrong and everything is kind of crazy. So, am I going to push the right one? That's the question. Yes. You know, we were blessed. Uh, My wife, Jeannie, was blessed with a new car and it's got all these bells and whistles. We brought it up here and uh, it's got the lane assist where... If you start, and as you get older, you kind of drift off a little bit more. That's what I've noticed. So it buzzes, and then it pulls you back. And it's got the backup camera, so you don't have to, you know, crank your head all the way around anymore. Um, it's got radar, so you can set the, the speed, and then it keeps you at that speed. No matter if somebody in front of you stops, it's, it starts, you know, slowing you down automatically. It's kind of neat. But the neatest thing is it got... GPS inside the car, so you don't have to use your phone. You just push it on the dashboard, and I really like that because, and I'm sorry, Jean, but I know she is directionally challenged. So now I can always get her home. All she has to do is push the home button, and I'll, I'll get my wife back, which is awesome. So... Global Positioning Satellites is an amazing thing. There's 31 of these circling the Earth. 24 are in use. And there's some extras out there in case they need them. They were originally designed as a a military project to help target and and position our forces as needed. Um, It started in 1973, and they... They were able to find positions down to 20 feet, and now you can get it down below a foot. They can find you on, on the globe anywhere if you get this little device within a foot. And uh, it doesn't really use position. It uses clocks and relativity. I don't understand all the physics, but it's all about relative time, and, and, and somehow the computer decides where you are and shows you where you are. And would you ever think what would happen if it didn't work anymore? In fact... It can be jammed. In fact, they think that, I don't know if you remember the story where some of our Navy uh, men were taken captive by Tehran and held for a season and then used as propaganda. Their little boats supposedly went into uh, Iranian waters and the semis that the Iranians were able to jam the signal and then show them that they were someplace where they really weren't and then took them in captivity. So... Um, the idea that I want to look at GPSs is, is that it's so important for Christians, for those of you who are a believer, that not only do we follow the right highway, 
but we stay on the right highway. Um, Staying and following on the right highway is so important, especially in the day and age that we live in, because there's a lot of routes that are being put out there as the right way to go. And that's not always the truth. Remember Proverbs 3. Remember those scriptures. So we want to look at these scriptures. We want to look at some of these things regarding uh, Paul and what he did. So one of the scriptures that I I was thinking about was out of uh, Thessalonians. Now, Thessalonica was was a major trading city. Uh, It was in... uh, like Asia Minor in the Turkey area right now. It was 800 miles as the crow flies from Antioch. That was Paul's base where he left. So think about it. He had to travel 800 miles to get to this town, and he didn't do it in his new car with GPS. He didn't do it with a jet and get into the airport. He walked, or he took a boat, and he got over there. It was on a great road that connected Rome with the whole northern region of the Aegean Sea, it was a hub of commerce. It was a strategic, strategic place. It's a place where the gospel could easily spread because of all the routes and the roads that came into that place. And in, their, in his first visit there, he was accepted in the synagogue by some of the Jewish believers, and he began to pre- present the gospel. And then some others got upset. They labeled him as a troublemaker, a rebellious person, a hater, and uh, they began to work against the guy that invited him in. It'd be like uh, the town of, uh, what town are we in, Al? Yeah, they came to get Alan because they said, hey, you brought Mike here, you're in trouble, we're going to take you to the authorities, you're going to have to post bond because we know he's a troublemaker. And that's what they said to Jason, Paul's friend, who brought him into Thessalonica. They made him post a bond and uh, cooked and just kicked Paul out of town. So, he writes 1 Thessalonians from Corinth. Later on in his third journey, he writes another letter, and it points to the second coming of Jesus. It points to the need to be steadfast, faithful, orderly, not to be idle, not to just wait on the coming of Jesus, to be about God's business. And it was written at a time when being a Christian was kind of countercultural. It was different to be a believer. It wasn't the norm. So he writes, But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. It's not Paul's truth. It's not the truth of Thessalonica. It's not my truth. It's the truth that doesn't change. It's God's truth. It's God's GPS truth that always points the same way. And he goes on and he says, It was for this he called you through the gospel, through our gospel, that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught. The verse that we read earlier was the teachings, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. That whole verse, 15. So then, brethren, stand firm, hold to the traditions which you are taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. 
is so important for us who live in 2019 here in the United States of America, Long Island, New York, Rochester, New York, anywhere in the world today. Because we as Christians, young people, if you really hold to the truths of the Scripture, if you hold to the Scripture as true, you are a counter-revolutionary. You are counter-cultural today. Uh, you are outside the norm of where our culture is today. We're living in a day and an age where the spiritual GPS of God's word has been challenged, even misrepresented, even jammed in people's places, in schools, in universities, in some businesses, just totally shunned or jammed or spoken against. So what am I talking about? Well, some of the traditional beliefs that are being challenged in our day and age is regard sexuality, the identity that you have. Things that you would never believe would be challenged are being challenged today. Here's an example of one that I read about. Gender-neutral parenting. What is a gender-neutral parent? Well... It's allowing children to be exposed to a variety of gender types so children can explore explore their gender without restriction from society or the gender they are born with. They will also be granted exposure to gender gender roles and be able to think critically about them at a young age. So there's a new way to parent. It's called raising babies. Babies. Babies without a gender assignment. Parents of babies believe sex is biological and gender is a societal construction. Therefore, they keep the child's sex from the public to prevent people from inflicting gender-based stereotypes onto their child. This is what's happening today. So what we began to do with our, for our grandkids is we pray for them because we've got, what, seven, well, six grandsons and two granddaughters right now and one on the way. We just pray, God... Let them embrace who they are in you. Help them to embrace their identity. And we just affirm these boys. You are a boy. (laughs) You are a guy. You are a girl. Because they're not going to hear that in general society today. You're not going to hear that in the entertainment industry today. You're not going to hear that in some of the major sitcoms today. You're going to hear counter that. So it's so important that we allow that spiritual GPS to really be embedded into our children. So because there's a lot of confusion. There's a gender chart listing 32 human genders. 32. When I was born and when I was brought up in in Jane Addams school, you were a guy or you were a gal. I mean, that was it. And that's what Jesus said. That's That's what the maker said. Male and female created he them. Male and female. In colleges, there's a re-education program going out. There's a pronoun chart that they use at Harvard. During the registration process at Harvard University, students are now allowed to indicate which pronouns they use which, uh, with, with suggested general neutral options like Z or they, and there's a bunch of them. And Harvard isn't the first college to embrace general neutral uh, pronouns. 
but it's among a wave of major institutions that are widening their policies and pronouns to acknowledge gender confusion, basically. And they basically say this at the end, where they reveal this, this chart, is um, if you're unsure of what gender to call somebody, just ask them before you, before you mislabel them. It's amazing. In certain states, it's illegal to counsel biblically on sexuality. If you're a licensed practitioner and you try to speak to somebody that's kind of confused about their sexuality and bring them back to the norm of biblical sexuality, of normal sexuality, you can be prosecuted in a number of states. Uh, there's a, it's called banning conversion therapy. Uh, and there are D.C., Puerto Rico, and 51 other counties and municipalities that are embracing that, as well as the states that are on the chart there. Of course, we know about the redefining of marriage and how marriage has been redefined by the states and by the Supreme Court decision, Oberfield versus Hodges, in 2015. But there's also a, a tendency of this stuff to creep into our denominations, our churches, Churches that have been biblically founded uh, hundreds of years ago and now changing. What do I mean by that? It's called progressive Christianity. Uh, this is written out up in a, in a website called christianchronicle.org, and it caused progressive Christianity dangerous. I'm just going to go through some of the uh, breakdowns regarding progressive Christianity so you kind of understand what they're going to. Number one, if you're a progressive Christian, you have a lower view of the Bible. Uh, the Bible is not from God, but it's only a human book expressing people's experiences about God. Or you will hear people that believe this saying that, well, that's what Paul says, but what did Jesus say? So there's this questioning regarding the authority of the Scripture uh, and Western sensibilities, what basically... Uh, laid the foundation for Western civilization is being questioned in many, many ways. So, number two, there's an emphasis over feelings, over facts. Uh, a progressive Christian will say this about a verse that they don't like. This verse, does, it just doesn't resonate with me. So to, to uh, kind of place the, uh, uh, the authority of a verse, it has to be, it has to be felt like it's true. It has to kind of fit their worldview. Number three, the essential doctrines are open to reinterpretation. Progressivism challenges the core doctrines of Christian orthodoxy. Um, is mankind really sinful? Do they really need a savior? Uh, people are tend to. We believe that people are tend uh, are basically good. Uh, they're basically good, and it's their circumstances that kind of push them to do bad things. Where Orthodox Christianity says, we've been born into sin. We have a sin nature that has to be saved. Jesus didn't just come uh, because he loved us. He did love us, but he came to save us, to transform us, to pull us out of darkness and sin and self-centeredness into his kingdom of love commitment, and sanctification. Historic terms are redefined. The resurrection becomes a metaphor instead of a historic fact. Jesus' death was not about uh, salvation. It was more like a, a story of martyrdom. 
And the big one is love. There's a redefinition of love. Love in the Bible means putting the needs of others first, but love in the 21st century means that you need to accept and embrace whatever a person wants you to accept and embrace. If they believe something is right, then you need to be able to tolerate them and embrace that as their truth rather than counter it with God's truth. And if you counter it with God's truth in love, not in a condemning or self-righteous way, then you are labeled as a hater. You hate them just because you adhere to what you believe is biblically true. The heart of the gospel message shifts from sin and redemption to social justice, which social justice isn't a bad thing because we're supposed to fight racism, stand for life, treating people fairly. But the idea of social justice doesn't substitute itself for the sin nature. Jesus came to save mankind from their sin. And justice, the justice of God caused Jesus to come and die in our place. He fulfilled God's justice by coming and taking the penalty of sin for all that would put their hope in him. That's the beauty of the cross. That's the wonder of the cross. That's the love of God demonstrated to us. And it's amazing. So all these things are going on in our culture. All these things are kind of weaving through the education system from kindergarten all the way up through postgraduate work. It's weaving itself through the entertainment industry, our sports industries, our commerce. And how do we, as Christians, navigate that? It's so important that we allow ourselves to be recalibrated. Recalculate. How many people hear that on their GPS? Recalculating, recalculating. We need to be recalculated at times. And God, in his mercy, allows us to do that. And that brings me to some of the points here. First, to recalculate and allow ourselves to be recalculated, we have to understand, we have to acknowledge that we all carry baggage from our past. We all carry ideas from the past. We started a Christian school back when I first came into the ministry. And you know one of the first challenges that we faced as, as, as we tried to educate uh, kindergarten through 12th grade in our church school? We who had been brought up in the, in the government schools and went through public education, we didn't totally understand how much the humanistic man-centered education system had got into our mind and into our understanding. We had been kind of saturated with humanistic thinking through all our public education classes so that the Word of God became kind of like another truth compared to scientific truth. And we really began to be challenged to see things through a biblical worldview. And we all carry that baggage. In Psalm 139, 23, and 24, it says, Search me, O God, and know my heart, and try me, and know my anxieties. See if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me into the way of everlasting life. We all need to do that. We all need to let God's Holy Spirit recalibrate us 
and realign us at times because we are humans, we have flesh, we have desires, and we have things that we carry from the past that God needs to sometimes deliver us from or recalibrate or realign us with his truth. And that's always going on because he loves us so much. Another scripture is in Acts. It says, this is he, speaking of Moses, who was in the congregation of the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai, whom our fathers would not obey but rejected, and in their hearts turned back to Egypt. There's always that kind of draw sometimes, especially in hard times when we face difficulties where we begin to look backwards instead of look forward. And God wants us to continue to look backward. In the wilderness, and this was amazing to me, um, I was reading in Acts, they actually began, they, they carried with them the idols of Moloch, who was the god of human sacrifice in Egypt, and Saturn. And they had little tabernacles who they carried with them through in the wilderness. And God said, I want your whole heart. He always wants our whole heart, so he's always recalibrating us and calling us to wholehearted devotion. We never arrive until we see him, and then we'll be like him. So young people, you need to understand that he wants your whole heart. And he's a loving God. He's not a demanding God. He's not like a religious ogre that doesn't want you to have fun. But he understands that his way is the way of protection and the way of fulfillment and the way of uh, walking into his destiny. And he has that for you. Second thing we need to do is sometimes we need to make a declaration like Joshua did. And he spoke to the children of Israel as they had entered the promised land. And he was getting at the end of his journey. And he said, listen, uh, if it seems evil to you, if it seems evil to you, to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served, which were on the other side of the river, and they had brought these gods with them, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And this is a word for us that are fathers, not in a demanding way, but in an example way. We are the ones that set the example in our homes, and moms, you too, that we serve the Lord wholeheartedly. Um, there's a scripture, or there's a hymn, prone to wander, how I, how I feel it, prone to leave the God I love, take my heart, take and seal it, seal it to the one I love. And God is always wooing us, wants to seal our heart to him, um, wants us to be wholeheartedly devoted to him, not in a demanding way, but like when you first met the one you loved, guys, gals, and how you wanted to woo them and be with them, God wants that kind of relationship with each of us. Make a declaration. My peace I leave you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives, give I to you. And so often we, we settle for substitutes for his peace. When we face a crisis or when we're pressured or when we're stressed, we go to other things for release. And God wants us just to come to him first and foremost. Not, not talking against recreation because we need to be recreated at times. But where do we go when we feel 
worn out and completely drained? Do we go to the TV? Do we have that second glass of wine? What do we do? We want to go to him. We want our hearts to be settled on him first and foremost. And he wants that too. And that's what he will do for us. Second, uh, another way that we're recalibrated is be confident that the gospel is really good news. It's the good news that we have. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. That is the good news that we hold. You know, I heard something, some, some preacher told me this. He, was on a, he would get on a plane, and how many people have been on a plane, and you're sitting next to somebody, and maybe there's a conversation that breaks out. And so the person next to this guy always asks him, what do you do for a living? So he, got up, he came up with this great answer. I got the best job in the world. I said, I get to tell people how to get to heaven. And that just opens a door sometimes. Sometimes it shuts the door completely, but sometimes it just opens the door and they say, what are you talking about? He says, well, let me tell you. And it just opens the door. We have the keys of life in our hands. We have the word of God in our hearts. And we, have, we, we need to be people that are confident in that. See, the apostle said this in Acts 4. By the name of Jesus, this man has been made well. The man at the gate called Beautiful. Peter and John made him well. Which uh, made well. And he is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there's no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which you, doesn't say can, by which you must be saved. And now they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men. And they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. We have a great message. We have a needy message. We need to be confident and allow God to recalibrate you in that and redirect your ideas. That it's not a restricting message. It's a message of liberty of hope, of healing, of salvation, of deliverance. It's all wrapped up in what Jesus did for us. He is the way, the truth, and the life. The other thing is, and I've noticed this the longer I've been with the Lord, the way gets narrower because he continues to recalibrate us. He continues to redefine us. It's not, a, it's not a restricting way. It's a joyful way. But our choices become less because we, want, we fall more in love with him and we want to be able to hear his Holy Spirit lead us. And sometimes it gets, it gets a little bit quieter, that still small voice. When we first get saved, it's a really loud voice. We can hear. We can see our prayers get answered. We can kind of respond really quickly. And the older we get, God really wants to get us walking with him wholeheartedly. And the way is a narrow way. There's no way around it. What I said before is it's in the little choices that prepare us for the big choices, young people. So let God's Holy Spirit lead you in the little choices. Make the right choices now in your life. 
the little choices that you need to make now so that you're ready when you have to make the bigger choices that redefine your life. It's a narrow way. He who has my commandment and keeps them is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I will manifest myself to him. Or it says, I will dwell with him. I will abide with him. What a great idea, having God dwell with us, abide with us, become our great, our best friend. All right, I'm just about done. Lastly, one of the ways we can recalibrate is to know our heritage as Christians. When I first got saved uh, in the, a long time ago, it, it was during the Jesus movement, and it was all about us. I mean, there was no connection to our past as Christian history. I never heard a Christian history taught until a pastor that uh, was leading our church began to teach on church history. And then I heard about the heroes of the faith. Heroes that uh, did amazing things. Simple, ordinary people that did extraordinary things. And one of these people are the Adronayim and Ann Justin. They were missionaries to Burma. Uh, She was the first American missionary to go overseas. Um, She and he uh, were so used in Burma, they they did amazing things. Uh, At age 25... Ad Dronayam Judson was the first American missionary to Burma. He and Anne married two weeks before they boarded a ship to go bound for India. And from there, they eventually were able to make their way to Burma. Judson would spend nearly 40 years of his life living among and witnessing to the Burmese people. And, in, and until her death, Anne was the friend of many and even more fluent in the Burmese language than her academically inclined husband, Judson's efforts were slow going. He was imprisoned. He was tortured. But he never gave up on his God-given calling to reach Burma for Christ. And before his death, Adoniram Judson had not only established several churches in Burma, but he had also given Burma one of the greatest gifts ever, the Bible in their own language. So recalculating can... You know, as I go through these little points, it could, be, it could seem like overwhelming. There's a lot of stuff to do here. But I want you to know something, that it's not, a, it's not up to us. All we have to do is yield. All we have to do is be people that are willing to allow the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, who dwells within us, if you're saved, to begin to recalibrate you at times and to be open to that. That's the beautiful thing of being with Jesus. It's not about self-effort. It's not a religious act that we have to do these do's and don'ts. It's a matter of relationship with him and allowing him to recalibrate us and recalculate our spiritual GPS. When the Holy Spirit, which we all have, I can read it better over here. When we have the Holy Spirit, we have all that is needed to be all that God desires us to be. He's the one that continues to recalculate us and draw us and align us with the things of God. He's the one that brings us through those steps, that allows us to to be confident in the message that we have, that allows us to uh, get rid of baggage that we need to get rid of, that allows us to uh, make a declaration 
and, and, and cross the line when we need to. He's the one that helps us do these things. So let's just stand up and pray and ask God to seal these things to our heart. I thank you for the opportunity to share these things with you. I hope they minister to you. Young people, those little choices are so important. I just pray for you today. Lord, I'm asking that your Holy Spirit would just encourage each of us, especially the next generation, to go further than we have gone, Lord. In Jesus' name, we pray that you would light up individuals here with your great love and your mercy and a desire to see the kingdom of God advance in their day and age. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you for recalibrating us and recalculating us as we walk this way. Help us to stay on the highway, but not just park there, but continue to follow you all the days of our life. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.